listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So humans, us, both now and throughout time, have been obsessed with the idea of how we might avoid death. It pops up in virtually every culture of all time, these stories of struggling with ideas of life, death, the possibility of immortality or eternity, and stories emerge from every continent. It's folk tales like the bamboo cutter or the moon child of Japan. South Africa has the origins of death. The Brazilians have the tale of Ira, the lady of the lake, or from the Brothers Grimm. We see the tale of the water of life. We also see creatures like vampires or ghosts, which really are always tales about what might be the cost to continue living. There's the Mexican holiday, Dea de los Muertos, popularized recently by the Disney production of Coco. There's, we see it in the biggest tales of the past hundred years here in America, whether it's Harry Potter which is a long story of what immortality might mean. Or we see it in things like the Lord of the Rings, of what it might mean, what kind of power would it take to continue living. We all wish to be immortal because we know we'll die. Everyone eventually goes to a funeral. Some of us have been to more than others. But if we fail to deal with this dread, the Bible says we'll be consumed by it. Hebrews 2 says this, All those who through fear of death, fearing and dreading the oncoming freight train of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. As long as we fear death, it will consume us and our entire life will always be spent either avoiding it or being crushed by this reality. And the most popular way to avoid this dread here in America is to deny that death will come at all. And we do this by pursuing youth kind of at all costs, whether it's heavy cosmetics, whether it's miracle creams or juices, whether it's dressing way too young for our age, whether it's plastic surgery, whether it's obsessions with diet and fitness. Right now in Silicon Valley, there's over a dozen startups that are absolutely convinced they can take the lifespan of humans past the natural limits that have been experienced before. We have an entire culture that says it's bad to be old, we cannot age, and it is all a deep down fear of death. But there's another way. Our culture is making a frail attempt to act as if death is not certain, but today we have an opportunity to stare back at the mighty true word of God and learn to deal with the inevitability and the certainty of death while we still live. Because denying death is no solution. In fact, it's the opposite of God's wisdom for us. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there. Trade, make a big profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. If you're making big plans for the future, with a great deal of certainty in your heart, in this uncertain world, you need to wake up. 
You need to wake up that life is uncertain. And to deny that is a prideful and arrogant thing to think. We do not know what will happen even tomorrow. And the uncertainty of tomorrow should bring about a humility in us today. See, the uncertainty of tomorrow should bring out humility in us today. And we of all generations should know this, right? In December 2019, there was a rumor of a virus in China. They popped up in a couple of American papers. But by March 15th, 2020, it would stop the daily life of everyone across the globe and in our country. No one saw it coming. There was no way to stop it. It was uncertainty and has affected our life ever since and sometimes in tragic, horrific ways. And it's not just the pandemic. We need to remember our own smaller stories, whether it's the tree that fell or the medical report or the car crash or the basement that flooded or the unexpected thing that happened in your life that shook you from the idea that everything is certain and you're the master. Because the truth is very much the opposite. Everything that happens with great uncertainty is a wisdom lesson in our life that uncertainty is real. And we have a choice to be prideful or humble about that reality. Because we like to lull ourselves into thinking that everything uncertain or bad is behind us, that we've overcome and everything bad is behind us. Anyone else think like that? I do. I'm like the chief captain and commander of that ship. I'm like, hey man, clear skies. Put the hammer down. Let's do this. And I need people in my life to go, hey dude, there's a hurricane outside. You need a life vest, bro. But the truth is, a degree of uncertainty always lies before us. And pride and arrogance is not the posture to have, including the great uncertainty of our own deaths. And that's where scripture goes next. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Our life is short. It's a mist. It's here and then it's gone. So scripture says, so value the Lord's eternal will, not your will in this brief life. Value something bigger, longer, stronger, infinite, instead of the things you can just hold in your hands. And that's the truth. Life is uncertain. Life is short. And ultimately, life's not about me. It's about the Lord's will, whether I want it to be or not. But we have a chance to get on board in humility to what God is doing on the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. Our culture says life is short, so make it about you. That's what YOLO is. And for those who are not into YOLO, which is you only live once, is an excuse to do anything you want in this life. That's the response of our culture that sees the inevitability of death and says, well, you better live for you. You better live it up. And God's saying, you're so brief. You should know it will end. And you can live for the only person who actually loves you all the way down in me. Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches the relative brevity of our life should take our focus off of ourselves and put it on to God. 
And there's two ways to be prideful that this text is exposing. There's two ways to be prideful when it comes to uncertainty in your life. If you're new to citizens, we love a good chart. So get ready to chart with me, okay? Pride, thinking we know it all, thinking we're in control of it all, manifests in two different ways. It pops out of us in two different ways. This scripture is talking about the top line. Arrogance, I can do this thing on my own. We hit uncertainty at work. We say, I've been here before. Let's do it. We hit uncertainty in our medical life. Of course, I'll pull through it. I'll hit my vitamins. Anything that happens, there's a way to depend on ourselves, which is arrogance. And if you succeed, you grow even more arrogant. It puffs you up. But a lot of times, the arrogant, arrogant fall on their face. The uncertainty overwhelms them. The we'll go trade in this city or that, they get robbed on the road and it doesn't even happen. But there's an equal and opposite response. James talks about the arrogance when we come to uncertainty, that our heart is prideful. But Jesus talks about this other road. He talks about the anxiety of when we hit an uncertain moment, we say, I can never do this. We melt down before it even starts because we see this is an overwhelming thing I can't do on my own. And so we don't try or we stumble into it and it goes terrible either way. Jesus teaches it like this in Matthew 6. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble whether it's arrogance or anxiety, they have the same root of pride, of living for ourselves. Either way, it's self-centered pride. And our culture has a lot of definitions for pride, so I want to be super clear here. Pride has all these definitions, and self-centered pride isn't being proud of an accomplishment or being proud of these kids and proud of, look at this, they're happy, they're relatively healthy, this is good news, my daughter getting a goal at the soccer game, that's healthy pride. This is talking about self-centered pride that seeks our own good and our own glory and our own self-love over everything. And Psalm 10.4 says it's the condition of all humans. Look what it says. It says, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. And listen here, you should have a healthy self-love and self-respect as a person created by God and loved by God. But selfish pride, you know it's infected you when you can't be thankful for the things in your life. You don't see them as connected to God anymore. You see them connected to you. We know we have selfish pride when we no longer see our deep need for God or deny God even exists like that psalmist told us. And we refuse to give God glory because we're so consumed with ourselves. See, C.S. Lewis taught this, that pride is kind of the granddaddy of all the sins, that everything else is kind of playing with checkers and chess is the devil's game of pride. Look with me from mere Christianity. It says sexual immorality, anger, greed, drunkenness, the easy ones we want to talk about because you can see them in a life. And all that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, pride that leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-state of God mindset. See, when you're so focused looking at yourself, you tend to look down at others and never look up at all. Pride will eat you from the inside out. The devil will happily cure your common cold of drunkenness to hand you cancer of pride. 
faith is choked by pride because pride has no need of anyone who's not about their glory. And faith in Jesus Christ, by definition, is about the glory of God. Following Jesus should never swell our pride, make us think we're better than someone. Following Jesus should never swell our pride, but start to strangle it day by day in our life, that everything's a gift and we breathe and live by the grace and beauty of Jesus Christ. And anxiety and arrogance, when you start to feel really anxious, when you start to feel really arrogant, they are symptoms of a sick heart. They're moments to stop yourself and say, Lord, I need you. There is a different way to go about this. Debilitating anxiety is not a path forward in faith, nor is arrogance seeing you don't need anyone and don't need God. These are the warning signs in our life to turn around. And God's inviting us to this sobering reality to wake us up. That God's inviting us to just know that life is short, life is uncertain, and life is simply not about us. Do you feel the freedom to exhale that life isn't about you? What a tremendous weight to think the whole universe is about you and that it all comes down to your happiness or satisfaction is the whole point of our own existence. That's a crushing reality. If you want to get depressed, that's a great way to think. But when we look at a God who tells us life is short, life is uncertain, it's not about us, we can exhale and say this life is about a greater Lord. And the good news is, while life isn't about me, I have a God who actually loves me. And that's the good news of the gospel. Not that I'm great, but God is perfect, good, and loves me all the way down. See, we have another chart here, kind of the opposite. I didn't want to leave you one negative chart. You got to balance it out. Negative chart, positive chart, positive chart. Humility, seeing our great need for God. We still face uncertainty in life, but we realize that God is a lot bigger than our uncertainty. Suddenly, all of our problems stay the right size, and God becomes the right size. No matter how big the uncertainty is, no matter how big the problem is, I'm going to bet God is bigger. I'm going to bet our gigantic God is big enough to walk with you through this thing, even if it doesn't turn out. Even if death is the end, even if you do lose that person, even if you do lose that job, God's guarantee isn't to fix all of our life, but to walk through our life with us no matter what. See, if you are experiencing this arrogance and pride that's consuming your life, putting the blinders on in your life, we can fully look and say, I need God to be bigger as he is and let this problem be smaller as it truly is. When your life is about Jesus, you start to see whatever the problem is, it's manageable if I depend on God. And it's always not manageable if I refuse to depend on God. We don't ignore uncertainty, but instead embrace humility. We pride inflates ourselves and makes us think God is small and our problems are impossible. But when we start to rightly see the bigness of God, we don't beat ourselves up, but we rightly see ourselves as truly who we are. A loved people, but a limited people. Just a man, just a woman, before a holy, righteous, gigantic 
God. And that's good news because we know that God loves us. And the book of James is full of all these instructions. Do this, not that. Do this, not that. But it's overlooked in the book of James is this picture of a gigantic God. They're like gemstones. And so let your, if you're a Christian in the room tonight, let your heart be encouraged as we roll through James and show you exactly who this God is from his own words. And if you're not a Christian, I invite you to say, is this a God you want to follow? Is this the thing you've been seeking in your life in many ways? But this is the true God of the universe. Look what it says throughout the book of James. James 1.5, the God who gives wisdom generously. Don't you want a God like that? I know I do. He says, if you don't know what to do, ask God who gives generously. James 1.12, God who promises the crown of life to those who love him. God who is not tempted by and has no part in evil and will never tempt you. Every single ideology of this world has dipped its toes in the evil. Not our God, not even once holy and pure and trustworthy for the rest of our days. God, the father of lights, that means the father of all the stars when you look out at night, who never changes, from whom every good and perfect gift in your life is from. Do you have your hope in a man? Do you have your hope in a woman? Guess what? They change all the time. Even if you love them, even if they're awesome, guess who don't change? The father of lights who hung the stars by his fingers. God, who by his own will brings us forth by the word of his truth. That's the gospel is the first fruits. It's God who makes us new. God, the father who cares about orphans and widows, the vulnerable are his specialty. We have a gigantic God who specializes in the people our culture says don't matter. God over and over and says, everyone created in my image matters. And he loves us. Doesn't matter what the culture says. Doesn't matter what hate says. God says, I love you and I'm not leaving. I'm not too big for anybody, but I draw near to vulnerable people. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory himself. God, who's chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith. God, who befriends his people. You want a friend? You feel lonely? We got a God who says, I'm in on friendship if you are. God, the Lord and Father who made us in his likeness and image, all people worthy of dignity and respect. God, whose friendship sets you at odds with the world because he yearns for our spirit within us. God yearns to be with us. God, who you can draw near and submit in order to resist the devil, that the devil cannot overcome you if you resist by submitting to God. God, who hears the cries of the defrauded and the downtrodden. The God who's coming and worth being patient for. The God whose purpose is compassionate and merciful always, all the days of your life and beyond. And last, the God who raises the dead and also heal in this life according to his will. That church is a gigantic God worthy of your worship, worthy of your loyalty, worthy of all of your life. Can I get an amen, church? If we can't say amen, we might already be dead, all right? Say amen, church. That is the God you worship, and he will be no less. It is only us who make him smaller, for he is ever bigger. We yearn and live God's will from the word. Do not trust ourselves. Look how verses 16 and 17 end. He gets right to the point. 
He says, as it is, you're boasting in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's a sin. The right thing to do in this passage, what it's pointing us to, is to trust God. To be absolutely clear, the right thing to do is trust God. It's just like when Jesus meets Thomas after he resurrects from the dead, and he looks Thomas in the face and says, do not disbelieve, but believe. This is the same thing for us in the book of James. The right thing to do, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, is trust God, not yourself. That's the right thing, church. And be encouraged for Scripture to tell you directly, don't do the wrong thing. Don't trust yourself, but trust God. And God proves His trustworthiness. He proves His love on the cross beyond any doubt at all. I love how Romans 5.8 puts it. This is the reason you can trust God with all of your heart and you'll never regret it. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ, Jesus Christ, the man who was God, to die for us while we were yet sinners. Christ didn't die for some future version of you who got their stuff together. Christ didn't die for your good deeds. Christ didn't die because of your mama or your papa or anybody else. Christ died for you when you were still a sinner. That's how you know a unchanging God ain't going to flip the script on you later in life. If you follow Jesus, you're in it for life with a man willing to die for you even when you haven't done a single thing for him. In fact, our sin is called rebellion against God. It's taking up swords and guns and arms like a soldier of a different, of a different war coming against God. Our sin is not a plaything, but it's an evil thing. And God looked our evil in the face and said, I'll die for that. If you wonder what happened on the cross, all of your sins were nailed to it with Jesus Christ. He didn't bleed for his misdeeds, but yours. And mine, every arrogance, every anxiety of not trusting God, nailed to the cross of Christ. And it's how he demonstrated his love for us. And more than demonstrated, he actually paid for it. Like the check coming from the waiter at a fancy meal, he pulled out the credit card and paid with his own blood for us. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he paid for all of our sin. He conquered death. See, death is the penalty for sin. That's the inevitability of death. That every Christian who dies will live again. That eternal death is not our future because Jesus Christ has forgiven our sin, conquered death itself, and he also triumphed over Satan himself, no longer has a hold in all who follow Jesus Christ. So why would we trust ourselves if we have a champion like that? I beg and urge you, church, trust the Lord with all your heart. Make uncertainty not a moment to hit the panic button, but a moment to hit the prayer button. Have the will of your life aligned with the Lord's. How do you know what the Lord's will is? That's a lifelong project. Best done in the local church with friendships, studying the scriptures all the days of your life to learn about our Lord and learn how to apply it to our life. That's how you know. And so I encourage you, if you're not in a local church, run to one, go deep, invest your life, 
and learn to deal with the uncertainty and the inevitability of death in a new way by the power of Jesus Christ through faith in him. Death is not the end for Christians, but a moment to live again and one bit day be resurrected unto eternal life, not as a ghost, not as a vampire, not denying the reality of death, but instead believing God that life is short. Life is uncertain. And thankfully, life is not about us. But Jesus does love us. And that's more than enough reason to trust him. Be humble, church. Let us follow the Lord's will as revealed by his word. So one day, it'll be easy to trust Jesus when we ourselves lie down in our graves. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.